Hello and a warm welcome to The Gold Podcast. I'm Mark Koskila and I'm delighted to be bringing you the first episode in this brand new season with my co-host and the editor of Gold, Helena Beer. How are you doing, Helena? Hi, Mark. I'm well, thank you. I'm pleased to be back kicking off the exciting new season with you. It's also great to be back in our central London offices recording together in the studio. Some much anticipated normality at last. Isn't it indeed? It's really great to be back working face to face recording from our podcast studio overlooking the Barbican. Now, this season of the Golf Podcast will be taking a different format to the last with new segments that will span news, exclusive interviews, deep dives into features and industry trends and much, much more. I think this will be a fantastic season. Absolutely. And it's a great week this week, as not only are we launching the new season of the podcast, but a new issue of Gold is out this Thursday, the 17th of February. We'll be sharing some exclusive extracts from the magazine, as well as additional analysis in this episode. So stay tuned. So let's kick off with some news from the last few weeks in our new segment, Things You Might Have Missed. There have been so many interesting reports and announcements published recently, it's hard to choose just a couple to focus on. But what have you got for us, Helena? So first of all, we were really interested to hear the Healthcare Business Women's Association name their Woman of the Year for 2022. The award recognises individuals for their significant contributions to healthcare and the advancement of women in the industry. And this year, it's awarded to Dr. Beth Seidenberg, Founding Managing Director of Westlake Village Biopartners. Beth has championed pharmaceutical research throughout her career with a particular focus on investment in life sciences and biotech. She's a real inspiration and a role model for women wanting to make it in a traditionally male-dominated profession. Such a worthy winner and we're looking forward to hearing more from the HBA and Beth over the coming months. Yeah, it's great to see how much of a positive impact Beth has made on the industry. Biotech is a sector on the up at the minute and this is a subject covered in Gold 20, so do make sure you check that out later this week. Another story that caught my eye in the past week is that IQVIA has released a new report looking at global trends in R&D throughout 2021. There were some really interesting facts and figures. Did you come across it, Mark? Yes, I did indeed. It's great to see confirmation that the level of investment, activity and scientific progress in life sciences is improving so much. The report found that 84 novel active substances were launched globally in 2021, double the number of five years ago, which is absolutely brilliant. Indeed, and 40 of those were for rare diseases as well, which is amazing progress and more patients will benefit, which can only be a good thing. An investment is being sustained across a wide range of disease areas, according to the report, with the total number of products in active development in human trials globally exceeding 6,000. That's up 68% over the 2016 level, even factoring in disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. So really good stuff there. It's an extensive report and we've just scratched the surface there. So do keep an eye on the Gold website and social channels for more. Now, as we mentioned, a new issue of Gold is out this Thursday, and today we're pleased to be able to share an exclusive extract from this issue's Catalyst interview, which features Judy Stewart, Vice President and Head of US Vaccines at GSK. Absolutely. Gold's assistant editor, Isabel O'Brien, had a great conversation with Judy discussing her 20-year career at GSK and her passion for vaccine development, as well as her approach to leadership and thoughts on the importance of setting boundaries to achieve an optimal work-life balance, something we can all take note of. It's a fascinating interview, which you can read on our website. The link is in the show notes. 
But let's get right into our first clip here. Judy discusses the early days and evolution of GSK's vaccines business, as well as her passion for preventative medicine. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when I first joined, the vaccine, you know, group was like not even a full-fledged business unit. It was kind of just this little group of products that, you know, a bunch of people in the corner were working on. It wasn't, didn't have like much visibility, but there was a passion within the group. You know, the people that worked in vaccines really had a desire to, to improve public health. And I always really had a lot of passion in the space. So when the opportunity came back to come back to the U.S. and to to lead the marketing team within vaccines, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like coming home again. But it was back to a business that was unrecognizable to me, like the number of vaccines, the size of the business, the size of just the number of people in the business working on vaccines it had exploded. Um, so it was a lot of excitement around coming back to something that felt familiar, but also quite different. Really interesting to hear how much the business has changed in that 15-year period, but the fact that the passion for vaccines and public health has remained is brilliant. Next, Judy discusses her personal journey to leadership and whether people are born leaders or whether these qualities and capabilities are formed over time. I never had like an aspiration of, oh, I want to get to this level or I want to lead this size business or I want to be a leader of this many people. Um, so I, I don't I don't subscribe to the fact that you're born one way or another and like that's kind of a prescribed path you have to take. I do think that some people throughout their early, you know, career or early life experiences have a tendency to maybe want to take a leadership role versus not. But I think that a lot of my leadership style and capabilities were were 100% developed over time. I mean, I had one manager who who wound up leaving the, the company um, and went on to do great things. She was super honest about how she actually rose through the organization, like how she managed her career path. And I had never really, I had never really given it much thought. I kind of always just worked hard and took advantage of opportunities as they came. And she had said to me, you know, you, you, you need to manage when is it time for you to move on to the next role and not just wait for someone to present that to you? And that was really good advice um, because I, up until that point, I had never really proactively done that or even thought about it. Great insights there. What do you think about that first section that uh, Judy discussed? How, how do you think people develop leadership qualities? Can it be inherent? I do think that some people are more naturally suited to being leaders than others, whether that's an inherent quality that they're born with is open to debate, and I'm no psychologist. But I think, as Judy alludes to, a leadership style is something that's fluid. It will change over time based on experience, based on examples during people's careers, and so many other external influences. So much of it is about being flexible and open to opportunity. Who knows where a career might take someone? They might not set out to become a leader, but they might end up on that path. Equally, what might have worked as a leadership style 20 years ago might not fit into the here and now. So being curious, adaptable and open to change will allow people to develop and maintain strong leadership. I agree. It's definitely a skill that could be worked on and built upon and really important just to dedicate time to. 
definitely. So Judy also shares some insights from a recent report that GSK commissioned. It's called the Avalir Study, and it looked at the routine vaccination rates in the US. So let's hear what she had to say. We're now 37 million doses behind across that whole continuum. And I think catch-up is happening better in the pediatric space. Um, I think some of that is because of the dynamics of the U.S. market. So in the U.S., most pediatric vaccines are, you know, not just recommended, but they're mandated by school requirements. So, you, you know, we've kind of caught the pediatric space up as kids went back to school and that's not happening with adolescents, kind of college age kids, and really not happening with adults. Um, and so that's where I think most of the concern is. Because we can see, I mean, we have examples as recently as 2019, where um, we saw a drop in pediatric, all vaccines, but with the pediatric group. And what you saw in 2019 was in those communities where you saw either a lot of anti-vax sentiment or for religious reasons, people not getting vaccinated, we saw a measles outbreak. And so we want um, that, that story to be heard. It really is vital for that story to be heard. The extent of that lag in vaccination coverage is quite difficult to comprehend, 37 million people. But if you want to read that study in full, do check out the show notes where you'll be able to find a link. Absolutely. Very important messages there and a lot of work needed from the entire healthcare ecosystem in the US to make up those gaps. Indeed. And the picture isn't too dissimilar over here in the UK either. So it's a very important message for all. Now, staying on the topic of vaccines, Isabel next asked Judy about GSK's future pipeline and what solutions she is most excited about. In terms of our pipeline, I mean, we've we've taken a strategy where we've, there are, there are some gaps in the U.S. marketplace that don't actually exist in other markets. For example, like measles, mumps, rubella, the only manufacturer that's on the market right now for MMR is Merck. Um, we are actively pursuing bringing um, our MMR vaccine to the market because we think the safest place for a government and for a market to be is that they have options to choose from. That's, that's what's best for communities and for public health when you have choice. So that's a piece of the pipeline. The things that bring the most excitement to us are the un, unmet, kind of new to market, first in class um, or best in class. And that, you know, for us right now, a big effort is around uh, respiratory syncytial virus or RSV. So it's highly competitive. Um, we have a long history. We have a huge portfolio, so we feel like we will be able to compete successfully. Um, but yeah, that's probably the next wave of vaccine that you'll see that will have the biggest impact to public health. I was fascinated to hear that RSV is going to be the next big thing in vaccine development. There are huge unmet needs in this disease, but there are four vaccines currently in phase three trials. So the picture is a hopeful one. And as Judy says, healthy competition can only be a good thing in areas like this. And if you're interested in reading more about the future of vaccine development, including some positive impacts of the pandemic on this space more broadly, be sure to check out this issue's cover feature when Gold is released on Thursday. So for our final clip, Judy gets a bit more personal by discussing her approach to setting boundaries and maintaining a healthy work-life balance, such an important topic for leaders to be vocal about. For myself personally, I am really clear about what my boundaries are. 
the the one kind of hard rule I've created for myself since I don't have children that when I get home are pulling me away from work. I've had to create kind of my own ways of dealing with it. So when I leave work, I don't do emails at all. Um, I, I don't look at my work emails. I don't respond to work emails until the next day, until I'm back in the office. And I don't do it on the weekends. And no one believes me when I say that. But the reason why I do it, and I think what's the most important around setting the boundaries for yourself is that I think you can very easily, and I, I've had moments in my life where this has been the case, you can wind up resenting your job because you feel like it's the balance is too wonky. I don't ever want to be in that space. Like, I love my job, but I love my job because it's not everything to me. A great note to end on there and something for us all to keep in mind. Now, as we mentioned, if you want to read the full interview with Judy, head over to the Gold website or find it in the show notes below. Isabel also asked Judy about her earliest memories of wanting to join healthcare and GSK's vaccine collaboration with Sanofi. It's jam-packed full of great insights, so do go and check it out. One of my favourite features coming up in gold this week is on the power that blockchain technology holds for the transformation of the pharmaceutical industry. We spoke to Vincent Steiner, an independent pharmaceutical broker and self-confessed blockchain enthusiast who shares his expert insights on the use of blockchain technology within pharma supplies chains plus research and development. We wanted to get Vincent on the podcast to share more. So in this exclusive interview with Gold, he takes a deeper look into how the technology could impact venture capital within the pharma landscape. Vincent also spoke to us about where his interest in blockchain technology stemmed from and his opinion on competing technologies that he envisages will also create waves within the pharma industry in future. Yeah, my my interest in blockchain, where it came from, it's uh, it's it's been a while to be honest. I can remember um, years ago, must have been eight years ago, I guess. I was reading some things uh, online about the the most OG of all blockchains, uh, Bitcoin, and that the the price was was immensely rising at that time. Well, didn't give it too much attention <laughs> at that time, so I'm highly I'm highly sorry for that. Now, as you can imagine, if you see what the price has done over the years and and i also did not spend too much time on the actual technology that was on the, the hoot of big, the old bitcoin but this this really changed in 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 2017 um i guess after the peak of the first market cycle of bitcoin and uh, what you also saw beside bitcoin that a lot of other coins tokens and blockchain projects were uh popping up and and i was starting to wonder where all the fuss was about. So I went down the rabbit hole, as they say, and I read a lot of books on the technology and especially the history of blockchain because that, that's so interesting because people tend to think that Bitcoin and, 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 and other very well-known projects like Ethereum and whatever, Litecoin and such, that it's a high technology and it's just brand new. But actually, if you, if you really look into it and really read about it, it's a technology that's the result actually of 40 years of academic research. That's just crazy. Uh, also, uh, because of my background, of course, uh, I was also focusing on the possible applications, of course, within the pharmaceutical world. And in my opinion, well, I won't say they're endless, but it could lead, in my opinion, to a paradigm shift. And and not just not just in the pharmaceutical world, but 
probably in the whole of the corporate world and probably in, in, in the whole world uh, for that matter. This led to a huge interest in the whole space and I'm following it for years now. And I see so many possible applications for the pharmaceutical world. In my opinion, one area that is actually heavily overlooked is using blockchain technology for uh, a possible blockchain-based venture capital system. And in this case, it would be possible to guarantee uh, traceability, transparency, and, and, and accountability to all stakeholders so they are in full control of their investments at all time. By using smart contract technology, uh, it would be possible to have a controlled, for example, startup capital aviation. Uh, for example, pharmaceutical companies will have access to a limited amount of cash flow until further objectives or, or targets of the project have been completed. And this would, this would ensure that in the case of a failure, uh, the actual loss of capital will be kept to a minimum. So uh, having the rest of the funds or the capital being returned to investors. So smart contract technology can also be used for uh, yeah, milestone payments and other conditional payments to investment. And what's also in interesting to, to, to discuss is the possibility for other parties that venture capital to actually enter the space of, of venture capitalism. That's something I'm, I'm personally really looking into. Like, why, do, why wouldn't it be possible to start up a so-called um, DAO, like a, like a decentralized uh, autonomous organization where using smart contracts you could regulate the funds coming into a venture capital fund and in uh, for example in the netherlands uh, and that this is the case in, in, in a lot of european countries a lot of medicine uh, research being done at, at a university level and then uh, we go through as the business might know we go through certain stages a phase one uh, development phase two development and then all of a sudden we come to phase three and phase three requires a lot of capital uh, phase three trials so what happens, uh, and I hope it's not often, but I know it does, there's no capital to actually do a phase three study trial. So the idea ends, ends up on, uh, on the shelf. Now, I hate things ending up on the shelf. So why would we, it be possible, for example, for the general public, for other parties, other stakeholders to, to hop in that field, to jump in that field and to be able to uh, add funds to a certain uh, autonomous organization where, and I'll give an example, if a, um, a phase three trial would would need say a million a million pounds, and uh, you would be able to chip in for say a thousand pounds, you have one percent of the actual investment, and then a product would be a success, and there would be would be milestone payments. Then you would know that within that investment, you would you would have one percent of the actual fund that you would that you supported. So you would get one percent of of a certain amount depending on the milestone payments. So that would open the market for other investment just than venture capital. So this would give the opportunity for other, other parties to really enter the world of venture capital or enter the, the world of uh, investing in pharmaceutical startups or pharmaceutical scale-ups or medicine development in, in general, uh, so to say. Investing in medicine development would not only rely on big venture capital companies, but in this case, could also uh, mean that the general public will be able to to invest in these kinds of developments uh, with a, a smaller budgets, so to say. Everything that that's dependent on contracts and statements and and, and agreements, all of these things could be replaced by smart contracts. If the if the coding is well, you could really 
put everything in smart contracts. And uh, there won't be there won't be an option to say oh, I didn't say that, or there won't be an option that this contract is not is not valid, or there won't be an option for a government to say okay we don't agree with the contract. It's there. It's in the blockchain. It's immutable. You're not able to change it. Deal with it. So that's agreement is an agreement. So that just that's just that's an awesome that's an awesome development, so to say. If we look at um, competing or similar technologies to blockchain that could have potential, yeah, for the pharmaceutical industry. It's a very, very interesting topic, actually. In my opinion, this would be in the area of so-called uh, web-free solutions. And web-free is actually an ecosystem of which blockchain is a part of. Um, and maybe it's good to really explain the difference between web one, web two, web three. Web one are actually like the static internet pages. It's like the internet of information. So you're your 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 old static website where you where you would find information and such. So from the the mid nineties till the uh, the zero, so to say. Then the actual successor of Web two is the the Internet of Communication. So uh, you would be able to to interact with websites. You would be able to use social media and such. And then came Web three, and Web three can be seen as, in my opinion. Um, the internet of value and um, it consists out of three elements and that are uh, cloud computing uh, blockchain and uh, therefore uh, decentralized networks and uh, AI uh, we did already discuss one of the elements blockchain of course which of course uh, we came to the conclusion it has a massive value could have a massive value for the pharmaceutical space but also uh, blockchain, AI, and, and cloud computing, uh, computing could complement each other. Uh, in regards to artificial intelligence, well, if, if we look at the element data, so to say, well, data for every industry, and of course also for the, for the pharmaceutical industry, is vital. Yeah, any, any industry operating in this space uh, that's looking for value insights and, and, uh, and wants to ensure successful operations, well, they need high quality data analysis and, and the resource, of course, to enable it. And it, interestingly, one of the most powerful solutions for that is, is artificial intelligence. So uh, especially if you combine that or in combination with the, the computational power that is delivered by, by cloud computing. So uh, AI at the moment, artificial intelligence is really helping pharma companies uh, derive valuable insights. Uh, and for example, it's being used, or it, it is used at the moment to develop uh, new medications, uh, drive better decisions, and uh, well, so much more. So besides blockchain, it, it would be in the space of web-free additional technologies that could uh, that could really benefit the, the pharmaceutical industry, and, and especially especially uh, cloud computing and AI. Such an interesting and timely topic covered there by Vincent. A huge thank you to him for sharing even more insight on where blockchain technology is driving and could drive the pharmaceutical industry. It's a great addition to the expertise he shared within the feature. To be sure that you don't miss the full feature when it's published this Thursday, please visit www.emg-gold.com and subscribe to our newly launched newsletter. And that concludes this week's episode. 
A massive thank you to Judy and Vincent for joining us and the Gold team for helping us put this episode together. Yes, what a way to kick off the new season. We'll be back next week with more brilliant content spanning the pharma industry. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't already. And a final reminder to look out for the latest issue of Gold, which will be published this coming Thursday, the 17th of February. In the meantime, take care and goodbye. See you next week. Thank you.